After weeks of speculation, U.S. Senator Claire McCaskill announced she's voting against Brett Kavanaugh's nomination to the Supreme Court. The main reason the Democratic senator is citing is Kavanaugh's unwillingness to rein in undisclosed money in the political process. This is something McCaskill has talked about often on the stump. I, I really feel strongly that Citizens United was the worst Supreme Court decision yes. of our lifetime, and I really believe that we've got to get back to some kind of sanity when it comes to campaign finance. On the latest edition of Politically Speaking, Joe Manis and I talk about the impact of McCaskill's decision and preview Missouri's second congressional district contest. Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Lufius Alfa Romeo, offering test drives of the Alfa Romeo Giulia, the 2018 Motor Trend Car of the Year at Lufius Alfa Romeo in Fairview Heights. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me, as always, in St. Louis. Colleague Joe Manis. And the wait is over, Joe. Uh, Senator Claire McCaskill finally has decided how she's going to vote on Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh? The answer is? No. This reminds me of the famous Claude Rain line from Casablanca. But no, no one frankly expected her to say yes, but she finally did say no. So she, but she did not cite the whole controversy over the um, allegations that he may have uh, assaulted a fellow high schooler um, about 30 years ago. Instead, she is focusing on his rulings and his comments that she says uh, indicate that he supports dark money, won't do anything to stop it. For our listeners, dark money is basically it's campaign tr- donors who do not have to disclose their money. I, I, and if you give to certain groups, you can do that. I don't really like using that term unless it's in quotes. I, I like to use undisclosed political contributions because dark money does have a negative connotation. Although if you've listened to my previous, our previous shows, I, I don't have a lot of tolerance for undisclosed political donations because I do think the public has the right to know for who, all sides who, who, who's influenced. We'll get to that in a minute. If you've asked Senator McCaskill about the Kavanaugh issue as much as we have, she's been bringing up this issue of 501c4 and, and undisclosed money for a long time. You know, for example, in August, when you asked about it on the Politically Speaking podcast, this was her response. Well, there's a variety of things I'm going to ask about. I'm going to focus um, a lot of my questioning about dark money in politics. Um, it was a, an extraordinarily activist decision when the Supreme Court decided that corporations were people and that there was an entitlement in our somehow in our law that they can give unlimited anonymous contributions to political campaigns. Unlimited anonymous. Now, you're going to see in Missouri, by the time this election is over, right now, I think 80 to 90 percent of the money that's been spent on behalf of Josh Hawley has come from third-party groups. Um, You don't hear, I'm Josh Hawley and I approve of this ad very often. If you hear, I'm Josh Hawley and I approve of this ad, or I'm Claire McCaskill and I approve of this ad, you can go online and see who all of our donors are. But the vast majority of the money that is being spent on behalf of Josh Hawley is, in fact, this anonymous money. And 
as she acknowledged later on in that podcast, a lot of money is being spent on her behalf where you can't find the source either. And her line has been, well, if, if, if you don't see uh, this is Claire McCaskill, I approve this message, just ignore it. So I, I do want to point that out. Which is a bit hard to do because there's so much of it. Basically, the last time I looked, I did a story a couple of weeks ago. And at that time, the Center for Response Politics was saying that uh, Missouri, the Missouri Senate race was the number one destination for outside groups. Now, the Center for Response and Politics does not track a lot of the undisclosed donations. So that money that they're uh, documenting, which was close to $30 million at that time, doesn't include the millions of in some of this, uh, as McCaskill calls it, dark money that is from other groups. It's kind of complicated because there are some groups that are straight 501c4s and don't identify their donors. Then there are some groups, such as uh, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer's group, which is not a 501c4, so he identifies his donors. But some of his donors are 501c4s, and I think so they don't identify where the money is. There's a group, from. I think, called Majority Forward, which is a 501c4 that is now just spending money on ads directly as opposed to donating to a PAC right now. And they've been doing this all over the country. Yeah, but, and, and, and to be fair, at least uh, as, as, uh, at that point, at least half of the money that was being spent in the state was also from conservative groups, many of which were not identifying their donors. So this is something we're seeing on both sides. So the reaction from Attorney General Josh Hawley was also not super surprising. He's been out front for a long time that Kavanaugh should be confirmed. Even after the, these allegations that you alluded to came out, um, he still called for Dr. Ford, the accuser, to be heard. The issue of dark money was brought up in last week's Missouri Press Association debate. And Holly made this point, which was then responded to by McCaskill, that I do want to touch on. And I just don't understand why Senator McCaskill says she's against dark money. Why is she trying to coordinate with dark money groups? Why does she have a website that is devoted to telling dark money groups what ads to run, what script to use, even what videos to use, for heaven's sakes? And then they're doing it. This is all that's been reported on. It's in the press. Now, I don't know if it's illegal or not, but it's certainly not within the spirit of the law. I'd say this. Let's at least obey the laws that we have, and let's level with the people of this state. I will, because I haven't forgotten where I've come from. Claire McCaskill, Josh Hawley, says that you're signaling to third-party groups how to run ads. 30 seconds to respond. We have lots of things on our website, and a lot of it is about Josh Hawley and his record. And it's available to anybody who wants to see it. I hope voters are looking at it. That's who I hope are looking at it. So I do want to point this out. It is a very common practice for candidates of all sides to put B-roll of, of candidates doing stuff and opposition research on their website. And more often than not, that type of thing makes it into third-party ads. I want to make that clear that this is not a new phenomenon. But to his point, you know, Claire McCaskill has been out here talking about how bad these outside groups are. And Holly is making the accusation that he she's supplying them with information that's that's attacking Josh Holly. Well, one thing that's interesting to me is like from the uh, forum last week, he did not criticize dark money himself. He did, he did not just he did not criticize undisclosed donations. He went after her because she does benefit from them as does he. I mean, Basically, what she's saying, and this is something that former Governor Jay Nixon often said, was that she was she's saying, look, I don't encourage this stuff. 
I wish this was illegal. But if this is illegal, and while I can't control what they do for me, I'm not going to tell them not to do it when other groups are doing it for them. I don't want to unilaterally really, disarm. I'm not sure she's personally made that argument, but a lot of Democratic well, groups have well, made that well, argument. Well, that's what I mentioned. That's why I mentioned Nixon, because Nixon's been upfront about that for years. But Nixon was talking about unlimited campaign donations. And even though Nixon himself took a lot of large donations after this, I understand his point. If he didn't do that in 2012, for example, he would have been massively outspent by a self-funder, you know, Dave Spence. The issue I have with the argument uh, on the Democratic side saying, well, we're not going to disclose our donors because the other side isn't doing it. It's not a situation where they don't have the money. Right. They could still have the money to attack Republicans. It's just a question of who, where that money is coming from. And I, I don't think it really looks very good from a perception standpoint that millions of dollars of undisclosed money is going to help people like Claire McCaskill. When you look at it side by side, it doesn't really look very good. Well, you know, and I'm not sure. Okay, I'm not. I believe in full disclosure by everybody. But that said, I'm not sure how much viewers, TV viewers, um, really pay attention to what kind of ads they're seeing on TV. I was in Indiana over the weekend where there's also a ton of outside group ads being spent on the Republican and Democratic Senate candidates there. And it was interesting to me. Was tr- I was trying to keep track how many were actually by the candidate as opposed to the outside groups. And that's the same thing here where, where it's just hard to tell. So I'm not sure if the average, average viewer who's watching TV or eating their dinner or whatever, is really paying close attention to this. As you mentioned before, though, and I think this also needs to be brought up for fairness, Josh Hawley is on record saying that the Citizens United decision, which has basically caused an avalanche of outside and undisclosed money, was correctly decided. Yeah, he is He is being upfront about it. I mean, at least he is saying, hey, I'm okay with this. Now, what's Intriguing, the backdrop here is the U.S. Senate just a couple days, I mean, I'm sorry, the U.S. Supreme Court just a couple days ago, um, in effect, um, issued a ruling that will have the result of requiring these outside groups that have undisclosed donations to disclose their donors, at least for now. Now, they're not saying what the vote count on that is, but right now the Supreme Court is largely running on an eight-member um panel on many things so which makes you wonder would Kavanaugh's involvement change the order there we really will probably never know till he's on and they have another case where they, they make a decision on it but Kavanaugh's writings and some of his rulings have indicated that he doesn't have any objection to uh, und- undisclosed donations I'm really glad you mentioned that decision Joe because I think that only affects federal races it does not necessarily affect state-based races. Correct. And, 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 Absolutely. And, and here's why that's important. We've talked about this on the show before. There have been 501c4s that have di- have refused to disclose who is funding them that have spent a lot of money in, in ballot initiatives this year, most notably the minimum wage increase. Almost $4 million so far has come from a group called the 1630 Fund, a Washington, D.C.-based group 
that has steadfastly refused to say who's funding them and is funding a lot of other Democratic-leaning causes and candidates throughout the country. And I will just mention this. There was a Missouri Ethics Commission decision that does require some 501c4s to disclose their donors, but it's only if you can prove that they're specifically raising money and spending money, raising money for a specific candidate or cause. The question that I have about something like the 1630 fund is, we don't know who's funding it. It could be a billionaire who's funding it and just giving like $40 million to this and then just telling somebody else, like, give this to whoever you want. So if that's the case, I'm not really sure the MEC decision would apply there because you can't prove that the money that's going to help the minimum wage was 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 specifically being raised for that purpose. Well, in the MEC ruling... Uh doesn't really have an enforcement mechanism. Unless really. somebody does a complaint. Yeah, but even then, in many cases, many of the MEC's rulings, if there's anything serious, it's almost up to a local prosecutor to go after the, the person. I mean, they can levy fines, but as far as anything much beyond that, they can't. Let's shift a little bit to St. Louis County politics, which is something we haven't talked about since the primary. And there will not be a vacancy in the county council's 6th district. Joe, this is a story you've been covering for a while. Why don't you explain the background and the saga of Ernie Trakis? Okay, Ernie Trakis is a Republican. Um, he's councilman for the 6th district, which is basically uh, southeast St. Louis County. Actually, the district used to be represented by County Executive Steve Stanger. Um, Trakis is a lawyer. His clients include some school districts. Um, he has been had been accused of violating the county charter that bars council people from working for other governmental entities. Um, he's contending that he wasn't really an employee of, the, of these school districts. He was just hired to represent them on certain things. Uh, the bottom line was uh, County Prosecutor uh, Bob McCullough referred this case to um, St. Charles County because of conflict of interest. Uh, there was a special prosecutor uh, who was hired to look into it. The special prosecutor did uh, question whether or not Trachis had violated the charter. But when it went to the judge in St. Charles County, the judge issued a ruling this week that basically um, absolved him. This was his reaction at, uh, shortly after the ruling became public, by the way. The Bible tells us that if God is with you, who can stand against you? This is proof of that. Um, certainly uh, no elected official, regardless of position, um, is going to be able to file frivolous matters to intimidate or chill um, a representative of this body um, from doing the people's work. So I had confidence that this would be the result. Am I glad that it's finally over? Of course. It, it takes that one, one item off of my list of uh, to-do things. But um, surprise, no. I expected this result. So what he was alluding to there is he believed that Stenger was behind this effort to oust him from office. He's also accused Stenger of being behind an effort to recall him from office, a, a, a bid that really had got some attention a few months ago but doesn't seem to have gone anywhere right. at this and, point. Right, and that's and that's separate from this legal fight. But And, and Stenger has denied this, by the way. I want to make it clear. But I mean, it's not really a secret, secret that Trachis and Stanger aren't best of friends. Trachis is part of a, a coalition uh, on the council that's been dogging Stanger for a long time. Um, but it does seem like 
now he's going to remain in office likely for two years or more. And that, that can't really be a good thing for Stanger because he, now he doesn't have a re- chance to replace him with a with an ally in South County. Is that fair to say, Joe? Yeah. I mean, you know, frankly, if the Democrats uh, or Stanger's camp uh, had wanted somebody who was sympathetic, they needed to have worked harder in 2016 to get a candidate who could um, win. I mean, you know, Trachis won fair and square. And now it's time for Politically Speaking's election analysis, where we break down what will be on your ballot on November 6th. Okay, Joe, it's time to talk about the congressional district that you live in, Missouri's beautiful and expansive second congressional district. And, That's right. And uh, this is a race that we, we've covered in the past. We Last time around, we had Ann Wagner and Bill Otto on, on this podcast. So I don't want to say that we've completely ignored this race over time. But I would say that the second congressional district contest this year is probably getting more attention both locally and nationally than in years past. Is that is that a fair assessment? Yes, absolutely. And the reason is is twofold. There is this feeling among national prognosticators that suburbs, like many which are in the second congressional district, are going to be going toward the Democrats because of backlash against President Donald Trump. The other reason is the Democratic candidate against Wagner this year, Court Van Ostrin, he's raised far more money than past Democratic candidates. And if you even talked to Wagner earlier this year, she is not trying to push back against the idea that this election cycle is going to be more difficult than in years past. This is from her March appearance on Politically Speaking. It's a tough climate. I will uh, I will say that. And we are the only targeted congressional seat in the in the state. Uh, Missouri's 2nd Congressional District is uh, more of a swing district, given the fact that it is takes in the, in, in the suburban, suburban area of St. Louis County and some of the, of, the, uh, of the exurbs. I believe when I filed, there were uh, maybe four or five Democrats that have now filed uh, for office. But yes. we, always, we always get them. You know, in Missouri, it's a $100 filing fee. A lot of people file for office. And, uh, you know, I intend on, on, on taking this election seriously. I take every election seriously and work hard and, and earn the vote. This is, this is a district that's personal for me. I'm born and, and raised here in, in the St. Louis metro area, raised my family of three, my my husband and I have been married for 31 years. We've worked. We've volunteered. We've done a lot in this community, and it's personal. Uh, this, this for me, Joe, is, is a calling, not a job. And this is basically Van Ostrin's pitch about why he believes he can cut through some of the Republican leanings of this district more generally than that particular topic. You know, this is a district that, although Congresswoman Wagner has not had um, uh, particularly close elections, uh, voted for Claire McCaskill in 2012. The second district went to Claire McCaskill. Jason Kander lost this district by an incredibly narrow margin in what was obviously a tough year for Democrats in 2016. Um, so, you know, this is a, a district of folks who are, are educated, are independent-minded. Um, I think these are folks who uh, really desire leadership, and they're folks who are paying close attention to what's happening. Joe, we've talked about on previous shows that I think that winning the second congressional district for the Democrats is not going to be an easy task. And it's not because I don't think Court Van Ostrin is, is, a, is a great candidate. I think she's done everything he needs to do to be competitive. It's just the way the district is drawn. 
I think is is inherently detrimental to a Democratic candidate. Yes, you have Democratic pockets in there, and I'm sure the residents there feel like they're basically in prison because they feel like they never have a chance, which is why I think there's a lot of enthusiasm against Wagner. But it's surrounded by areas that even now, I'm not really sure, have turned against Trump. I mean, what's your assessment? You, you, you live in the district. You've, you've known the district for a long time. Do you think that someone like Van Ostrin has a chance to knock off Wagner? Well, I think it's a chance if there's a huge Democratic wave nationally. I, I think that, and I think that's where he would probably see it, I'm guessing. Um, the district is almost 90% white, so it has very little minorities. And in fact, the largest minority are Asians, not African Americans. And the um, the second district spans from Arnold and Jefferson County, goes around much of South and West St. Louis County, up into the southern half of St. Charles County. So it's extremely expansive. A lot of that is Republican territory. I think uh, Democrats have felt heartened because there have been pockets of where some people in the second have done well, some Democrats. But still, it's a challenge. Now, we're like seven weeks out. So some of it's going to depend on what happens between now and November. Because it's not just the ground game. Uh, Van Ostern recently came out. He had this Planned Parenthood endorsement. So he's hoping that this helps him with suburban women who could be crucial in the second. Uh, Wagner had an event this week with a whole bunch of firefighters and police groups who are backing her. They also will be crucial in the second district. I, I think it's a, a message to our community about how much this community comes together um, to support those who stand on that front line and defend us each and every day. And honestly, Joe, I don't care if it's a, you're a Democrat or Republican, where you come from, we should all be standing strong with our first uh, responders. They are um, uh, have a very tough job right now, and uh, many of those have paid the ultimate sacrifice in giving their lives. Many have been injured on duty. Uh, there are some things that we've done for our firefighters that uh, deal with uh, cancer protections and, and research and, 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 and data. Uh, we've got a number of pieces of legislation that I've been pleased to lead and co-sponsor on their behalf in Congress. There's probably going to be another issue that Wagner's going to focus on, too, which is her bid to eradicate sex trafficking. She worked on a bill aimed at curtailing online sex trafficking with services such as Backpage.com, something that she's talked about many times before, including on Politically Speaking earlier this year. I've been at this for uh, two years. I've been fighting the good fight on human trafficking and uh, and sex trafficking since I've been in Congress now um, on, on year six. And uh, this has been a, a, a labor of love, but a pretty heavy lift because this is a, a mammoth piece of legislation that really goes to the, to the heart of uh, taking on these predatory websites like Backpage.com and, uh, and others that are selling our, 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 our women, our children, our young boys uh, on the Internet uh, with impunity. So the, FOSTA has a, a large criminal component, which is what I have worked very hard on, working with our prosecutors, our district attorneys, our 50 state attorneys general who have gotten behind this legislation. Yeah, the key thing on the sex trafficking thing is that that one has wide bipartisan uh, effort. Holly had been involved in this. So had Senator Claire McCaskill on the congressional level. So this is uh, that that particular issue is one that really crosses political lines. And of course, it is something that uh, the public, especially women, are very uh, 
pay a lot of close attention to. Now, we had Van Ostrin on Politically Speaking a, a couple weeks ago, and he laid out the issues that he's going to be focusing on against Wagner. One of the things that was most notable, because he brought it up when he was talking about why he's running in the first place, is health care. This is what he had to say when he was on our show. And certainly uh, running for um, office, uh, running for Congress, was something that I had thought about. But um, about a year ago, uh, a little more than a year ago, when I watched Ann Wagner vote with other Republicans in Congress to cut 23 million people, like my mom, off of their health care coverage, um, that vote felt very personal. I mean, it felt like a vote against my family, and it felt like a vote against my mom. And so uh, that was really the moment that cemented uh, my decision to run for the United States Congress. I think we are at a time in this country where there's so much division, so much partisanship, and we need uh, leadership. And I think it's time for a new generation of people to stand up uh, and to uh, offer a better path forward. I believe that Congresswoman Wagner represents, in many ways, the worst of Washington and uh, the worst of partisan, bitter um, negative politics. Now, we've talked a lot about on this show how Democratic candidates, both in Missouri and outside Missouri, are really using health care as a way to bludgeon Republicans. It, what, what Van Ostrin was specifically talking about in there is how his mother, who died of breast cancer, had insurance from the uh, Associated or, uh, Affordable Care Act exchanges, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. And I could see that being used in an ad and being very powerful to voters because he definitely has enough money to go on, on television. How much do you think that's going to affect voters in this district who, even though they lean Republican, may be moved by something like that? Yeah, I think so. I think it depends on how the, the Democrats play it. I would think that that is probably the biggest, most vulnerable issue for Wagner is her support for getting rid of the Affordable Care Act and she hasn't highlighted much on exactly what she would do to replace it, other than the, some of the standard re, re, Republican rhetoric about allowing insurance to be purchased across state lines and and bolstering health savings accounts, that sort of thing. So I, I'm envisioning that he will be running a lot of ads focusing on health care. On the other hand, um, Wagner... I expect that she'll, A, be using these uh, law enforcement groups in her ad. Um, she already is saying she's contending that Democrats have gotten too liberal and that and that she's for border, border security and this and that. But I think she also is highlighting the fact she's already been running some ads that basically show how she's lived in the district her whole life. So she's going to play up that as opposed to Van Osteren, who's just lived in the district a few years. And I think... A lot of this is going to depend on neither of them. Both of them ran some ads before the primary. The big thing now is when they start going on TV uh, closer to the general, she obviously has a ton of more money. Um, both of them have been raising money. But so far, you're not seeing too much from outside groups. I think some of this is going to depend on how much they swoop in. It is one of the targeted groups for um, targeted districts for Democrats. But again, you and I both agree this is a stretch for Democrats. I'm not saying it can't be done. I think if, if it does go for Van Osteren, it's because of a national wave. And I will just say the Post-Dispatch reported that Wagner actually told the Republican equivalent to the DCCC, like, don't come into this district. Uh, don't waste your money here. I got this, basically. And one thing that I think has been really interesting to watch is 
This is not my first rodeo covering competitive congressional district races. <laughs> right, no kidding. Not yours either. It is a, it is a, there is a propensity among Democratic candidates to play down their support for abortion rights and restricting guns. I mean, I've seen this time and time again that when that issue comes up, they don't want to talk about it openly. Van Ostrin is not one of those candidates. As you mentioned, he was endorsed by Planned Parenthood and his campaign put out a press release for that. He has been outspoken in favor of abortion rights. Wagner is a devout Catholic and has long voted to um, block Planned Parenthood from getting any sort of federal money for the uh, women's health services that it provides. Only about 3% of its money actually is used for abortion. A lot of it's used for contraception and other things. Um, he is highlighting the differences on that. And he's also actually criticized Wagner for not being more outspoken after some, some school shootings. But again, it's going to depend on how this plays with voters, and some of this is going to depend on who turns out. And, I, and then the one thing I asked Van Ostrin, because you have, th- you have places like Jefferson County and St. Charles County in this district, which typically elect candidates to oppose abortion rights and gun control, how much his positions, especially on gun control, will affect things. This is what he had to say on that particular issue. It is a very, very small number of people who really believe that any kind of restriction whatsoever would be an affront to the Second Amendment. I think that there is a lot of room uh, to protect the rights of gun owners in this country, but also to keep our kids safer. And so those are the kind of policies that I'm going to pursue. And again, uh, you know, we it is an epidemic in this country. This is the only country where uh, we have this kind of an epidemic with gun violence. Um, and it's the, the solutions are not going to come overnight, and it's not going to be a single policy um, that solves this issue for us. But we need to at least have policymakers that are committed uh, to taking first steps and to making a good faith effort to keep our kids safer. Joe, if, if Court Van Ostrin wins this race, um, what do you think it says about the national environment? I would think that in this instance, it would be like the Democrats have taken at least 30 or more seats. Well, probably 50 seats. If, if not more. Yeah. and um, But a lot of it's going to depend on what happens with these younger voters. Court Van Ostrin is young. He is part of the Democratic um, effort by many uh, progressive groups to uh, have a stronger voice, um, have more millennials running to um, kind of shift the demographics uh, in favor of the Democrats, uh, because both parties, frankly, have a lot of old people, including myself, um, you know, who are not only the main voters, but also in many cases the main candidates. So they're, they're, they're trying to, the Democrats in particular, have been trying to broaden the, broaden the base of candidates. So he's part of that. So it's going to depend on the se- second district. If, if you look at, um, at the demographics, it's not only wider, it's also older in some parts. So the uh, Democrats, Van Ostrin's going to need a lot of young people to vote, especially since, as I pointed out, um, it's, it's primarily, overwhelmingly white. And I will just say, I would say the vast majority of young people in the St. Louis region live in the first congressional district. And I'm not just saying that because I live there. It's just probably the truth. Younger voters are probably more inclined to live in the inner ring suburbs or St. Louis City than places like Baldwin, Manchester, even places like Kirkwood and Webster, which are probably out of their price range if they're trying yeah, to buy a gonna house. Yeah, I was going to say, it's, yeah, it, if I hadn't bought in there 35 years ago, I'd be in that situation. I mean, too. I looked at Webster, too, and it just 
it was too expensive for but me. But I love it. One last thing before we depart for this week. The Western District Court of Appeals reversed a Cole County judge's decision throwing Clean Missouri off the ballot. Clean Missouri, of course, is an initiative that makes a host of redistricting and ethics-related changes to the Missouri Constitution. We've talked about it a lot on this show. This is not really the last word, though. Uh, the plaintiffs have appealed to the Missouri Supreme Court, who many believed were going to make the final call on this. So we'll probably talk more about the final decision in next week's podcast, because I believe there's a September 25th deadline for there to be a decision on this. For all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter, Jay Rosenbaum. Follow Joe on Twitter at... Jay Manis. That's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. We will see you next time. Have a great weekend. Sponsored by Lou Fuse Alfa Romeo of Metro East.